0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Cebalski, author of Second Story Work. In last week's episode, we listened to chapter 27. In that episode, Derek, Messi, Hecci, and Arloff finally had an opportunity to meet the devil's grip. Derek also came to terms with who he is and wished that he was anyone else. This week we're going to listen to chapters 28 and 29. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 28 November 2009 At 3 p.m. local time, Derek checked into the Best Western in Canmore. He walked to his room, dropped off his belongings, took a shower, and poured himself a scotch. His hands were shaking. His nerves had him sweating so bad that he drenched his shirt. He needed another shower. Derek left his hotel and drove through Canmore. One turn after another... Before making his final, onto to Riva. He pulled up in front of Mandy's house. It was a tiny two-story home with wood siding and a one-car garage. It was cute and petite, just like Mandy. He turned off the engine and collected himself. He took a deep breath, stepped out of his car, walked up to the door, and knocked. Seconds later, Mandy answered, dressed in a teal dress with a bird pattern. It was simple yet adorable. She smiled and it blinded Derek. Hi, she said as she stepped forward and wrapped her arms around Derek. He closed his arms around her and squeezed. He could feel the breath of her perfume fill his lungs. Derek pulled away to allow her to lock the door. She stepped in front of him and walked down the stairs. How are you? asked Mandy. I'm great, Mandy. She looked back and smiled. Derek took a deep breath. He could feel the air as he breathed in her hair. The smell of flowers and honey tickled his senses. They climbed into Derek's car and drove through the quiet suburban streets of Canmore. How's it been? She asked. It's been weird since our love. Do you want to talk about it, Derek? He looked over at Mandy and feigned a smile. Not really. It's just, I don't know. It sewered all the good we had going on. It's tainted, you know? I could see that. It's hard to lose someone. Familiar surroundings always remind you of what you had. Derek pulled into the crazy weed parking lot. Mandy was very excited about Derek's choice of restaurant. You did your homework, she said, squeezing Derek's hand. They walked inside and were seated in a booth along the wall, in front of a large window. Derek ordered a beautiful red wine to start. For entrees, Mandy ordered the Alaskan king crab risotto, And Derek had the Chipotle Crust Alberta Sterling ribeye. I've got a surprise, said Mandy. Derek laughed. Oh? It's nothing major. The waitress brought the wine to the table. Derek sampled it and nodded his head. He poured Mandy a glass and then poured one for himself. Mandy continued. Any guess? Clueless. Do I get a hint? Nope, said Mandy with a smile. She paused. Okay, one hint. It's an activity. Derek looked up. That's vague. Okay, it's a fun activity, said Mandy, taking her first sip of wine. Oh, I don't like fun, Derek replied. What else? Mandy finished her sip of wine and nodded in approval. Okay, it's an activity where I get to wear a ball cap. Oh, Derek shouted, almost as if he knew the answer. Are we helping someone move? Rude, said Mandy with a smile. Okay, fine. No more hints. Oh, come on said Derek playfully. No, not unless you buy me dessert. They finished their meal and drove to a local theater for a drink. Mandy grabbed Derek's hand and led him inside. They sat in an empty booth and placed a drink order. Derek studied his surroundings. It was calming for him to finally be out of Vancouver. No one was hunting him down. That craziness didn't exist in his world with Mandy. He took a sip of his Glenlivet and smiled at Mandy. She smiled back. Are you always so happy? She asked. I try to be. I wish it wasn't so far, Derek. I miss you all the time. What if I told you I'm moving? Mandy smiled and looked intrigued. Where will you go? Anywhere, replied Derek. We're selling the truck. Wow, that's amazing. A hush fell over the table. Mandy sipped her drink, and Derek debated telling her his plan for the future. I want to come here. You do? Asked Mandy. I do. Derek felt himself rushing, but he couldn't control it. All I do is think about you. I count the minutes until you and I are together, and I hate it. Well, Derek, there are a lot of places around here to start a restaurant. Yeah, I don't know if that's my end game. I like the restaurant, but I don't think it's for me. We'll see. I'll take my time to decide. That's great, Derek. I'm so happy for you. Mandy leaned in and kissed him on the cheek. What do you want from life? asked Derek. Mandy smiled and thought about it for a moment. Wow, Derek, what a question. Let me think. She continued thinking. The answer came to her pretty quickly. I want to be a mom, Derek. Yeah, he asked. Yeah, more than anything. I want to have a girl so I can be as close to her as I was to my mom. God, you're so selfless. I'm really not, Derek. I want a child for selfish reasons, too. I want the purpose of raising someone the right way. The way you were raised? Asked Derek. No, replied Mandy. I mean, not really. My parents raised me right eventually, but it wasn't easy. The open mic host addressed the crowd, looking for someone to play a song. Derek looked at Mandy and raised his hand. Mandy smiled as Derek finished his drink and walked towards the stage. On stage, Derek sat at the piano and adjusted the chair. He began to play a slow instrumental before he sang. Sit my coffee at the diner bar. There you were. I wash my clothes in the light of day. There you were. I stared at you and caught your eye. There you were. I think of ways to exaggerate. Derek sang to Mandy in front of a room full of people. They locked eyes. She smiled and watched him. He finished the song and stood to a loud applause. He walked off stage towards her. She stood up, pulled him in close, and gave him a kiss. A short time later, they left the bar, hand in hand, and drove back to her house. Derek pulled up in front of the home. He helped her out of the car and closed the door behind her. Thank you, Derek. You might be the last true gentleman in this world. Mandy leaned in and kissed Derek. He kissed her back and enjoyed the cherry taste of her lips. She pulled away slowly, turned, and walked up the stairs to her house. Derek watched and smiled. She stopped at the top of the stairs and turned back to face him. Hot springs tomorrow? My surprise, said Derek. 10 a.m. Pick me up. The next day, Derek woke up, had breakfast, and drove to Mandy's. She walked out of her house dressed in jeans, Air Jordan high tops, a leather jacket, and a backward Blue Jays hat. Derek had never seen anyone make high tops look sexy. She climbed into the car and they drove to the Banff hot springs. Derek took a deep breath at the crisp mountain air. The views were spectacular. The hot springs were nestled into the side of the mountain and looked out over them. Fog lingered over the mountain peaks and the air had a chill. Mandy led Derek into the cafe. After a coffee, Derek walked to the change room and switched into his trunks and robe. He was feeling self-conscious about his tattoos. Some like the Pittsburgh Penguins logo, and the Eye from Tool's Ladderless album, were easy to explain. Others, like the Cray twins and Dillinger tattoos, wouldn't be. Derek walked onto the deck and climbed into the warm pool. He hoped that if he were quick enough, she wouldn't see all of his tattoos. He stood in the heated pool and looked over the side to the mountains below. The fog still lingered over top the peaks. Derek heard a door open and watched Mandy walk out onto the deck She removed her robe and shook her sable black hair. She drew a stare or two from men in the pool as she showed off a blue and white two-piece bikini that contrasted her olive skin. Her petite body drew Derek's stares too. He couldn't believe how perfect she was. She walked towards the pool stairs and climbed down. Derek felt his heart race inside his chest as the mountain air filtered through her summer hair. He couldn't handle her. His heart was gonna explode. She walked over to him, and began to kiss him on the lips. He kissed back and began to blush. Mandy pulled back, smiled, and ducked into the water. Derek liked this side of her. She walked to the edge of the pool and smirked. What? Asked Derek, curious as to what she was dreaming up. Nothing, she replied. Just thinking of something. Care to indulge me? I'm thinking of you, she said as she smiled. Cooking me dinner. I'd love to cook you dinner. Naked, said Mandy with a grin. Derek didn't know how to respond. Mandy walked over to him and kissed him. Are you blushing? She asked. He grinned, blushed again, and lowered himself into the water, swimming over to the pool wall. Mandy followed, and they looked out over the mountains as they snuggled one another. They lounged for a few hours and had lunch before Derek drove them back to Canmore. They stopped for groceries before returning to Mandy's house. Her home was ultra-modern, complete with high-end finishes and trendy furniture. Derek unpacked groceries in the kitchen while Mandy showered. His cell phone rang. The ID said, Hecky. Hey, Hecky, what's going on? I did it, Sarge. I sold the fucking truck. Holy shit, really? Yeah, buddy, for real, yelled Hecky. We got to sign the papers and all that, but someone's offering 300K for it. We are out. Holy shit, exclaimed Derek. Nice job. Before he even had a chance to decipher the news, Mandy walked into the kitchen wearing only a towel. She didn't speak. She looked Derek in the eyes and smiled. She reached for his hand, took it in hers, and walked him into her bedroom. Mandy took a step into the room and paused. She looked up at him and a tear streamed down her face. What's wrong? asked Derek. Mandy started to cry. Babe, what's wrong? He followed up. She didn't answer him as she brought her hands to her face. Derek wrapped his arms around her and she withdrew. She walked over to her bed, sat down, and cried into her hands while Derek stood in the doorway, stunned. Derek, I can't. Mandy continued to sob. Can't what, babe? Mandy wiped the tears from her face. Derek walked over to her nightstand, picked up a box of Kleenex, and handed it to her. She wiped away her tears. Derek, I haven't had sex in three years. That's okay. Oh my god, I'm such a mess. It's okay. Derek continued to encourage her. It's not, Derek. What is it, Mandy? Derek, I can't. I haven't been naked in front of anyone in forever. Why's that? Did something happen to you? No, Mandy replied. Well, I mean, kind of. Derek's world was rattled. He felt his throat close and his fists clench. He stared blankly for a moment. Mandy looked over at him and attempted to smile. Derek teared up with her. Derek, I've had an eating disorder for the past five years. Mandy choked back tears and continued. I don't see what you see when I look at myself. Mandy wiped more tears away as Derek massaged her. I promise I'll be able to eventually. I just can't right now. Babe, it's fine. We won't do anything that you're not comfortable with. Derek wrapped his arms around Mandy and hugged her. He then pulled back. I don't understand. How were you able to walk in front of everyone in a bikini today? Honestly, Derek, I felt fine until we came in here and I saw myself in the mirror. I see this monster that you don't see. Derek winced. He couldn't relate. He saw a monster in himself because he was one. Mandy wasn't. Derek... I survived this thing that tried to take me down. I didn't let it define me, even though the scars from it are all over me. Derek stared blankly. He had no idea what to say or how to react. The next morning, Derek was up first and made coffee. He sat down with his guitar on Mandy's couch and began strumming. He picked at the strings, his finger working their way into a song and the lyrics soon followed. You fade out on your bed. You feed pills. Derek stopped. He spotted Mandy across the room. You okay? Asked Mandy. Derek faked a smile. I'll be okay. We'll be okay, Derek. They had breakfast and exchanged goodbyes. Derek called Hecky as he pulled into Vancouver later that evening. Hey, buddy. Where are you at? I'm back at the house, Hecky replied. Cops cleared us to go home. I grabbed all your shit from the hotel. Derek rerouted himself and drove back to the house. He arrived at home and was greeted by Messi and Hecky. They were relaxing, enjoying a ball game on TV. Derek grabbed a beer from the fridge and joined them on the couch. What are you guys doing tonight? Asked Derek. Drinking, Messi replied. Why, you got plans? Hecky wondered. Not really, Derek replied as he stood up. Fuck, I feel trapped already. We are trapped, Messy cut in. We're prisoners in our own fucking house. Derek settled into the couch and tried to relax in front of a ball game with the boys. He couldn't. When do we meet the lawyer? He asked. Tomorrow, heck, he answered. Not soon enough, said Messi. The next day, the boys met with their lawyer downtown to sign the documents. It was a done deal $100,000 apiece, less legal fees and taxes. They could barely contain their excitement as they took an elevator to the lobby. Nothing keeping us here now, shouted Messi with excitement. Hecky held the door for the boys and they walked outside. Derek felt the warmth of the sun on his face and a calm come over him. He was on his way out. Finally, the sun caught him in the eye. He was startled as the windows and doors around him began to shatter and fall to pieces. Bullets flew from a black SUV across the street. A machine gun fired shots at the passenger side window directly at the boys. Derek hit the ground as soon as he heard the glass breaking. He had his bulletproof vest, but his gun was nowhere near him. The bullets continued to fly as tires squealed and the SUV took off down the street. Derek stayed low to the ground as he crawled over to Messy and Hecky to check on them. They had a few bumps and bruises, but incredibly, no one had been hit. Within minutes of the shooting, the police arrived on the scene. For the second time in two months, Derek and the boys were the intended target of a drive-by shooting. There was no escaping at this time. The police and the grip were on to them. The officers approached the boys and questioned them. They gave the same canned answers that they'd given it at each of the previous shootings. This time, there was no covering up their involvement in the world of crime. The police knew that the boys were into something deep and they weren't about to let it go. They asked that they come in for questioning. The boys complied and walked from the crime scene to a nearby parking garage. They jumped into the edge and drove to the VPD station. Derek had long suspected his vehicle being bugged. The boys were dead silent the entire ride. The shooting, coupled with the constant bullseye on their back, had left them thinking about their own mortality. Derek slowed down near a grocery store and pulled into the parking lot. He wanted to have a discussion before they went to the police station. They jumped out of the car and shut their doors. Don't talk within earshot of the car, suggested Hecky. They nodded at each other and walked across the parking lot. What are we going to do? Messi asked. We should find a shyster, replied Derek. We'll look guilty, said Hecky. We are guilty, shouted Derek. A lawyer keeps us out of bracelets. We're just out of lawyers, suggested Messi. Yeah, he's not right for this, said Derek. We need a criminal lawyer, somebody who got school with this kind of shit. Why don't we see what the popo want first? If we stick to script, we might not need anyone, Hecky suggested. Messi and Derek nodded their heads in agreement. Fuck this town. We're done here, shouted Derek. What about Maddie's new sixes, asked Hecky. Yeah, we're going to skip on those motherfuckers, Derek continued shouting. I don't think we can, Sarge, said Hecky as he cautioned Derek. Derek raised his eyebrows. Let's just deal with the cops first and move on from there. Messy and Hecky nodded their heads as they turned away from Derek and began to walk back towards the car. Derek called out. Hold on, boys. Are you off script or do we need a refresh? Messy and Hecky turned around to face Derek. They both nodded their heads and turned to walk towards the car. As they took their first step, the edge exploded in a ball of fire. What the fuck? cried Messy. Hecky looked at the wreckage. Anger boiled up inside of him. That's it! He began stomping around the parking lot. They want to keep coming? We're going to end them. The boys stood in the middle of the parking lot, watching flames shoot out of the car. Fuck, said Hecci, still upset. I had smokes in there. Well, I guess the cops will come to us, said Messi. He was right. Within five minutes, the same police that the boys had spoke to earlier arrived on the scene. This time, the boys were driven to the police station. Derek sat in an interrogation room by himself for three straight hours. He knew the police wanted him to sweat it out. He also knew that they had nothing to hold him. The door swung open and Anna walked inside holding a dossier. She set her folder on the desk, took off her jacket, and rolled up her sleeves. You can cut the theatrics, said Derek. I'm hot, Derek. Don't read too much into it. Anna sat down in her seat. I don't expect you to talk, so I'm not going to try. I'm just going to show you what you're in for. Anna began pulling pictures from the folder and setting them on the table. They were mugshots of the Devil's Grip members. She began pointing to each picture. This guy here has killed five people, but I can't prove any of it. She pointed to the next picture. This guy killed seven. Same thing. I can't prove shit. She pointed to the next picture. This guy killed nine. I can't prove a goddamn thing. Do you see, Derek? I see that you're terrible at your job. Joke, Derek. You and your boys are a blip on the radar to these guys. A speed bump. You're the thing until their next thing. So good luck. I have nothing to offer you except one piece of advice. Find someone who will help you because I won't. And these guys, the grip, they're not going to stop coming after you until you and those two idiots are squashed. Derek sat in his chair for a few minutes. He knew it was time to go underground, to hide out, to go unnoticed until he and his buddies could deal with the issues with the grip which all of a sudden had become much more difficult. It was a certainty that their clubhouse would be sat on. Extinguishing that flame was a fantasy. They needed another way at them, and they needed it now. They were a man down, and the grip was looking to punch their ticket. That evening, Derek, Messi, and Hecky stayed at a high-profile hotel in the heart of the downtown core. The grip would be hard-pressed to attack them there. They slept, guns in hand. They were done taking chances. The grip was coming at them hard. Hecky brainstormed a way to do one of two things. Go into hiding and hope they weren't found or end the devil's grip. Option two meant putting it all on the line and killing the entire faction. I wonder if they meet outside of the clubhouse, asked Hecky. Like at a bar, Derek wondered, or a house. You'd think that if they always meet there, they would have been bum rushed by now. Yeah, Derek replied, maybe. That's where we have to hit them said Messi, with conviction. Derek went to bed. He lay, thinking about how far he'd set himself back. He did everything for freedom and liberty. And here he was, boxed into this hotel room. His phone rang. It was Mandy. Hello, Derek answered. Hey, babe, said Mandy in her perky, sexy voice. You okay? You were quiet when you left. I'm okay, babe, Derek paused. What are you guys up to? I'm just hanging with the boys. We're celebrating a bit. We signed the papers today for the sale. Wow, Derek, that's awesome. So when do you move here? Soon. I get my money in a month and we'll see what happens. I really think you should open a brick and mortar restaurant. We have plenty of places. I'm sure we could find something suitable. Yeah, I don't know, Derek replied. I just, I'm not sure I have it in me to open another restaurant. I really don't know what I want to do. Right now, I just want to be with you. Me too, Derek. I want you out of that city. It seems like there's shootings every day. ''Oh, it's ridiculous, Mandy. Even going to the bar is worrisome. You don't really know if it's safe.'' Derek took a deep breath and wondered, ''How long could he keep this up?'' ''Did the police say anything about your friend?'' ''No, they're still investigating.'' ''I'd like to see you again, Derek.'' ''Maybe I could meet you halfway?'' ''What's halfway?'' ''Camloops?'' asked Mandy. ''I think it'd be more like Salmon Arm.'' ''Yes!'' exclaimed Mandy. ''Meet me there at noon tomorrow.'' ''Okay.'' Derek answered. The next morning, he rented a Volkswagen Passat, fueled up on coffee, and set out on his four-hour journey. Mandy was about the only thing in Derek's life that he liked to think about. Every other thought had become a worry. Worry about being shot, about being caught, about losing his life, his freedom, his family, or his friends. But then there was Mandy. She was a vacation that Derek took. The idea of having a life with her was the only good Derek could think about. He was feeling again. He hadn't felt in a while. Derek returned to Vancouver and the boys gathered for breakfast in the common area of their hotel room. Hecky he had news. He took the boys outside to a rental car. They jumped inside and drove deep into the West Vancouver suburbs. The homes in West Van had manicured lawns, beautiful gardens, and mature trees. He turned on a quiet street where the boys sat silent in their rental car for 20 minutes. He said one word, watch. They watched. Minutes later, six large black SUVs pulled up in front of a house. Members of the grip began to pile out of the vehicles onto the sidewalk. They stood around, waiting and smoking. Their president arrived and led them into his home. Hecky turned to the boys and smiled. Every month, they have a barbecue here. This is where we do it. We do what? You know, it. You mean we blow in there and we shoot up the place? Asked Derek. No, said Hecky. We go in there and we put out the fire. What the fuck are you talking about? Asked Messi. Hecky nodded his head and smiled. I'm going to rig the barbecue. Rig it to do what? Blow you up? Joked Messi. I'll exchange their tank with a modified one. Then we walk through the front door and we punch their ticket. Can you do that? Asked Messi. I think so, replied Hacky. I've done way more complicated shit than that on set. It's not totally stupid, said Messi. It's pretty stupid, replied Derek. We walk in there like hatchet men and do what? Put them down? What about their family? They're not there. What about hangarounds? Derek followed up. No hangarounds at the house replied Hecky. Do you have a better idea, Sarge? Asked Messi. Derek thought for a moment. I just don't want to end up on the negative side of a zero-sum game. It's us or it's them, Sarge, said Hecky. I don't love the idea, but it's time to throw some lead their way. These guys aren't going to stop coming. Can I really kill someone? Asked Derek, out loud. You'd be surprised what you can do when someone won't stop shooting at you, replied Messi. Heckey began to work on a way to rig a propane tank to explode. As the week went on, it became apparent that rigging the propane tank would be above their heads. Heckey gathered with the boys in the common area of the hotel and began talking about alternatives. Boys, I can't rig this fucking thing. Then let's just go, said Derek. Let's blow this fucking town. I have another idea, said Heckey. I want to use an explosive with an RFID chip. Derek and Messi didn't understand what heck he was talking about. He went deep into detail. I think I can replace one of their dinner plates with a modified plate that we would place on the barbecue. It would look like any other plate, only, in the middle of it, would be a small amount of C4, a wireless receiver, and an RFID chip. I'd need a few days to build some and just test them out. Dude, you're going to blow yourself up, said Derek. Where did you learn this shit? It'll be good, promised Hecky. I do this shit on set all the time. On film sets? asked Messi. Yeah. I mean, it's more controlled, obviously. But I got tips from Maddie's cartel guy. He calls this a boyo. What's that? asked Derek. It means chaos in Spanish. He said they use it all the time down there. They use a Spanish name for a device used in Mexico? Derek wondered, skeptically. I guess so. I don't know. I don't speak Mexican. Where are you going to get C4? Messi was curious. I got a hookup, replied Hacky. Don't you worry. A hookup, Derek pressed on. Jesus fucking Christ, Sarge. Yes, a hookup. That evening, Danik called Derek to check again if he had a place for him to stay during the Olympics. What's going on? Asked Derek. Not much, bro. Can you talk? Yeah, what's up? You able to house me while I'm there for the games? Shit, man said Derek. The boys and I rented out the house. I booked a hotel out in Abbotsford, though. It's far, but you're welcome to stay there. Derek's lies weren't enough to dissuade Danik from coming out west. It was great exposure for him, and Derek understood his side of things. He just didn't want him there. Awesome, bud, Danik exclaimed. Love you. Love you too, bro, Derek answered. Seconds later, Derek's phone rang again. It was Mandy. Hey, Derek. Hey babe, what's up? Not much, just sitting at home. What did you do today? Didn't do a lot, just had lunch with the boys and hung out. What about you? I worked and had dinner with my dad. That's cool. We're going to come out for a visit next weekend if that's okay. Ah, Derek had to think quickly. Shit, the boys and I just booked a trip to Pittsburgh to celebrate. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Why don't we just planned it? How could you know? I'm sorry. We'll figure out something soon, though. Maybe you won't have to go anywhere to visit. Maybe I'll come there. I hope so, Derek. I hate this. I do too. You're every single star in my sky. Babe, stop. Mandy giggled. My will is strong, and my feelings are intense. I won't hide it, Mandy. I know you're passionate, Derek. I want to see that side of you. You will. I'll be honest, Derek. Sometimes I wonder if I'll know you. You will. We will. Chapter 29, November 2009. Heckey drove Derek and Messi out to a field outside of the city to test plates. It was there that they disposed of a police car a year ago. Messi and Derek waited for Heckey to finish tinkering. Heckey stood up and walked towards them. Seconds later, he set the charge and boom, the plate exploded behind him and a huge smoke bomb entered the sky. The charge left a four-foot crater in the ground. Hecky looked at Messi and Derek and smiled. Satisfied? Wow, I'm good. How many have you done? Asked Derek. I set three charges. They all went off with no delay. We're good to go. The range is good too. Now we just need to know how to shoot, said Messi. Dude, if this works, there's going to be nothing left to shoot, joked Hecky. Over the next week, the boys practiced shooting every day. They were in a life-or-death situation. Nothing could be left to chance. Messi had basic military weapons training and worked as an instructor for Derek and Hecky. After a week of work with the guns, they'd become quick and accurate. They all had pretty good hand-eye coordination to begin with. It was just a matter of learning the intricacies of the gun. Mandy called Derek every night. She wanted to join him on his trip to Pittsburgh. He had planned to go alone after the boys backed out, but welcomed Mandy to tag along. After the last day of shooting practice, the boys left on their trips. They would come back, regroup, and spend one last week preparing for their attack on the grip. Derek flew to Pittsburgh, and Mandy met him there. It was their first trip together, and his first time in the four-one-two. Mandy booked a room at the Renaissance Pittsburgh Hotel on 6th Street. The Renaissance was an upscale hotel that overlooked the Allegheny River. It had the feel of an old American East Coast hotel. Derek arrived at 11 a.m. Saturday and met Mandy in the hotel lobby. She wore a bright sundress that turned the head of every man she walked past. She spotted Derek, ran to him, and planted a kiss before grabbing his hand and walking to their room. She unlocked the door to their room and Derek scooped her up in his arms and carried her inside. He walked her over to the bed and set her down gently. He kissed her and stood to his feet. He noticed two pens tickets on a side table. What's that? Tickets to the game tonight? Shit, said Derek. We're going to a game? Right behind the bench, Mandy smiled as she delivered the news. That's too much, babe. Hey, I'm just going because it's hat night and you know I look good in a hat. Derek smiled and planted a kiss on Mandy's lips. They left their hotel room and took a cab to 18th Street in the Strip District. Mandy had heard from a Yinzer about a famous sandwich shop called Pramonte Brothers. It opened in 1933 and was iconic in the Steel City. They walked inside and were seated in the back corner. The walls were covered in a mural of customers enjoying Primanti sandwiches. Derek and Mandy both ordered a beer with a black Angus steak sandwich. The sandwich arrived topped with provolone cheese, tomatoes, homemade coleslaw, fresh cut fries, all on a fresh Italian bread. Derek took a bite of his massive sandwich and smiled. It was amazing. He finished the sandwich quickly and waited for Mandy to eat hers. They paid up and exited to the street. As they took a step outside onto the sidewalk, a group of bikers parked across the street. They were wearing cuts, displaying their gang's emblem. Derek couldn't quite make out their logo, but as soon as he heard the roar of the motorcycles, he nearly hit the ground. It was clear that no matter where he went, he would always look over his shoulder for the devil's grip. Derek knew that they had to go. They had to go where they couldn't haunt him or anyone he cared about. That evening, Mandy and Derek walked from their hotel room to the Mellon Arena on Fifth Avenue. They both dressed in their black and Vegas gold Pittsburgh Penguins jerseys. As they approached the arena, Derek could see the large igloo-looking building. He'd seen it a million times on television, but never in person. Across the road from the igloo, he could see the Penguins' new home arena nearing completion. The console energy center was set to open in less than one year. They walked inside the igloo and were handed a promotional Penguins ball cap. Derek was full of anticipation as they walked through the curtain into the arena. He smiled ear to ear. Oh, babe, you're so happy. Mandy pulled out her phone and took a picture of Derek smiling. Excuse me, asked Mandy as she turned to a young black teenager who was walking with his girlfriend. Can you take our picture? The young man took Mandy's cell phone as she and Derek stood together for the photo. He took a few photos and handed Mandy back her phone. Thank you so much, she shouted over the crowd noise. No problem, replied the young man. Go pens. Go pens, baby, yelled Derek as he and the young man fist bumped. They took their seats in the lower level behind the Penguins bench. Derek looked around in awe. The building was a dump, but to Derek, it was iconic. The game began, and Sidney Crosby quickly took control. If he gets a hat trick, I'm keeping my hat, joked Mandy. You're not. I am, but I'll throw yours, she smiled. If he gets a hat trick, everyone here will be tossing their hat. Midway through the third period, Crosby buried his third goal past goalie Steve Vallecat. Derek tossed his hat onto the ice and turned to see Mandy put both hands on her head. Derek laughed and yelled over the sound of the goal siren. It's okay, babe. I think he's got enough. Derek looked up to watch the Penguins fans litter the ice with ball caps. Only Sid would net a hattie on hat night. I can't wait to see him play for Canada, said Mandy. Derek looked up and continued to watch hat after hat fly over his head. He felt everything slow down. He was in a happy place. He grew up idolizing Mary Lemieux and the Penguins. They were larger than life, heroes of his youth. He couldn't believe he was finally there, in their town, watching a game. He relished the last few minutes of an 8-3 Penguins win. After the game, he sat in his seat, soaking it all in. This was the most fun I've ever had. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Derek. For the remainder of their trip, Mandy and Derek did all the touristy things that people do in Pittsburgh. They went to the Church Brew Works, Market Square, the Warhol Museum, Carnegie, and Mount Washington. They got lost a million times in the confusing streets of Pittsburgh. But Derek felt at home. He felt safe. Away from the chaos of Vancouver. Derek returned to BC and found that Hecky had installed a high-end security system in the house to keep out any unwanted visitors. He also had bars installed on the doors and windows. Derek couldn't tell if he lived in a home or a really luxurious prison. He walked into the house and left his luggage at the door. Heckey he walked over and gave him a hug. Feel safe now? He asked. Derek looked around. I feel like I'm already in jail. It's just temporary, Sarge. In a week, there'll be no one left to hunt us. A week from now, I'm leaving town, Heckey. For good. Over the next week, Messi provided weapons training to Hecky and Derek for eight plus hours a day. They became accurate enough to shoot a moving target with each class of gun. It was time. There was no running. No turning back. No other move to make. The boys were going to try and wipe out the Devil's Grip. At 3.30pm on a warm December day, the wife of Devil's Grip president Dennis Bell took the kids in her SUV, and left her home. Heckey grabbed his bag and walked up the street towards the house. Messi and Derek hung back in a stolen car as lookouts. 15 minutes later, Heckey emerged from the backyard and casually strolled back to their vehicle. He placed his bags in the trunk and grabbed the bag of guns. Back inside the car, Messi and Derek had each already armed themselves with weapons and body armor. Heckey put on his gear and readied himself as well. The Devil's Grip arrived at the house a few minutes later. They lined their bikes up on the street, parked, and entered the home. One by one, they arrived, 30 of them in total. Hecky, Messi, and Derek took one final breath and exited the car. They separated as they crept through the streets until they were a few houses down from their target. They lowered themselves into a crouched position and prepared for the inevitable bang. Heckey nodded his head to the boys and pulled out his remote to arm the bomb. He looked at Derek and pressed the button three times. Bang, bang, bang. Three separate violent explosions echoed throughout the neighborhood. Derek looked up to see debris litter the sky and fall to the ground in a heap. He wondered why there had been three explosions. He looked to hecky for answers, but Hecky was already running towards the remains of the home. Derek followed him, with Messi right behind. ''What the fuck?'' yelled Derek, his body charged with adrenaline. ''I set three charges.'' ''Jesus Christ, look at this fucking place!'' yelled Derek. ''Come on!'' Hecky yelled back as he raced towards the charred remains of the house. Messi and Derek followed him into the backyard. Derek shoved aside the ashy remains of the wood fence. Messi began to check for survivors. One by one, he would look at the bodies... Then shake his head no to Derek and Hecky. Hecky began to feel for a pulse on each body. He found none. He walked over to check one last person. The man was a tall individual at least six foot four. His blood-soaked face was half missing and both of his legs had been blown off in the blast. He choked on his own blood as he struggled to breathe. Hecky stood over him listening to him cough up blood. He waited before he pointed his gun and fired a bullet directly into the man's brain, ending his suffering. Heckey he turned and nodded to Derek. Then he looked to Derek's left and pointed with urgency. Messi and Derek turned around to look. They heard another loud bang. It was a member of the grip. He'd arrived late to the party. His gun fired as Derek turned. The bullet caught Messi in his right cheek and dropped them to the ground. Heckey he returned fire and hit the man four times in the chest. Messi and Derek fell to the ground as blood splattered through the air. Messi's face began gushing blood as he struggled to breathe. Derek tried to clot the wound with his hands, but there was no way to stop it without medical equipment. Get the fucking car, yelled Derek, as Hecky took off and raced out of the backyard down the street. Derek could hear police sirens headed towards them. They had to go, now. Messi tried to use what strength he had left to assist Derek in getting him up to his feet. Messy's legs were like two spaghetti noodles. He was dead weight leaning on Derek. Hecky charged back into the yard and grabbed Messy on the other side as they walked him to the car. Derek opened the back door and assisted Messy inside. Hecky ran around the car and jumped in the driver's seat. Derek joined Messy in the back seat while Hecky sped away from the scene of the crime. Derek grabbed a hoodie and pressed it on Messy's face. Blood continued to leak all over. Hecky drove erratically through the neighborhood as he tried to escape to their switched car. Derek could feel Messi's breathing becoming shallow. Messi looked up and attempted to speak, but he was in too much pain. Don't speak. We're going to get you help, Derek tried to encourage Messi. What the hell are we going to do, Sarge? asked Hecky. Get him to a hospital. And say what? Hecky shot back. Say someone shot at us. We've already been shot at twice. Messi began to convulse in Derek's arms as he choked on blood. Ah, fuck. Hold on, Messi. Hecky, he's not going to fucking make it. We're nowhere near a hospital, Sarge, yelled Hacky. I don't even know this fucking part of town. Hold on, Messi. Hold on. Derek tried to encourage Messi. He took one last look up at Derek and let his eyelids fall. No, 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 Messi. Stay with me, bud. Stay with me. Derek tried to shake Messi as he pleaded with him. He leaned in and listened for breathing. It had stopped. He was gone. Hackey turned back and began smashing the steering wheel and screaming. What do we do with them? We can't bring them in the switch. Heckey looked back once again. We have to leave them. They'll know, Heckey. They'll piece this thing together in two seconds. The boys were nearing their switch car that was parked a block away from the devil's grip clubhouse. I have an idea, said Heckey. He pulled the car in front of the grip clubhouse, jumped out, and helped Derek pull Messi's body out of the car. They stabled his lifeless body and approached the door. Heckey he shot out the lock and kicked the door open. The boys walked inside and carried Messi over to a wooden chair in the corner of the clubhouse. They sat his limp body upright. Derek looked at Messi, keeled over in the chair. He had all emotion come over him. He tried his best to fight back tears. The last thing he needed was his DNA all over the place. Keep it together said Hecky as he tossed a rope to him. Tie him up. There was no time to ask questions. Derek did as he was told. He tied Messi up. Hecky walked back into the room with one of the grip's automatic weapons and shot Messi's corpse a few more times. What the fuck? yelled Derek. The grip did this. Now the cops will know they did it. Come on, we gotta go. Hecky passed Derek and walked towards the exit. A few steps from the exit, Hecky stopped and took a step inside a room just off the hallway. He spotted a safe. Holy shit, that's their safe. So what? shouted Derek. Let's go. So that's our way out of here, Sarge. There's no time. Give me time. Hecky pleaded. Derek peeked out the window of the doorway. Ah, fuck, three minutes, he said as he walked out of the room. He stood at the front door, watching for anything suspicious. Every second felt like an hour. Two minutes later, Derek heard a loud bang. You okay, Hecky? All good, shouted Hecky. Derek walked towards the room and noticed smoke billowing out into the hallway. What happened? I set a charge, replied Hecky. Hecky had blown up the safe door. Through the smoke, Derek could see stacks and stacks of money. Some torched, some still good. Hecky looked at Derek. Open your bag. Derek opened the zipper of his duffel bag and Hecky frantically stashed money into it. He packed all the cash that they could grab and even took a few stacks in his hands. The boys exited the building and ran to their getaway car. Hecky drove one block to their switch. Once there, Derek piled the bags of money into the switch car while Hecky wiped down their getaway vehicle. How do we torch it? asked Derek. Hecky held up two grenades, one in each hand. With these... Hecky pulled the pins on each grenade and dropped them in the car. He ran towards the switch vehicle, and Derek jumped into the driver's seat. Derek hammered on the gas pedal, and they sped away, screaming at the top of their lungs. Derek drove cautiously through the streets of Vancouver until they reached the second storage unit. They exited their vehicle, picked up their bags of guns and money, walked inside the unit, and shut the door behind them. Once inside, Hecky and Derek looked each other up and down. They were covered in Messi's blood. They changed into clothing that they had left in the storage unit. Heckey dumped the duffel bag's contents out onto the floor and began to count the money. Derek changed while Heckey counted. 485k. Messi then began to count the second bag while Derek counted the loose stacks. Derek finished. 170 grand. 545, said Heckey. Derek quickly counted the last bag of money. 515g's. Holy shit, dude, said Hecky. This is ridiculous. Derek stacked the money on a travel case and tried to temper his enthusiasm. He'd just lost his best friend. It didn't feel right to celebrate. Hecky was amped, and he paced the empty room, unable to stop his heavy breathing. Derek took a deep breath and walked over to the door. We need to go. Hecky followed him as they shut off the light, closed the door, and locked the unit. Derek drove them back to the house and parked the rental vehicle. Hecky walked inside as Derek sat in the car, thinking about everything that had just happened. A few minutes later, Hecky walked out of the house with Derek's cell phone in his hand. It's Mandy. Derek took the phone from Hecky and tried to put himself back together. Hey babe, how's it going? I'm good, Derek. Did you forget your phone somewhere? Oh, I left it inside. I'm just out in the garage. Oh. Did you see the news? No, I haven't had the TV on all day. What's up? There was a huge explosion in Vancouver. A house was blown to bits. Oh my god, really? Yo, turn on the news, Hecky. Hecky ran ahead into the house and Derek followed. By the time he arrived inside, Hecky had the TV on a local news station. I'm looking at it now. That's craziness. Well, I just wanted to call and make sure it wasn't your neighborhood. No, we're all good, babe. We're nowhere close to that. Okay, Derek. I'll call you tonight. Okay, babe. I miss you. Miss you too, Derek. Derek hung up and turned his attention to the news. Jesus Christ, he exclaimed. There's fuck all left. Why did you set three charges? So it would look like this, replied Heccy, as he sat down on the couch and leaned back. Derek looked at the TV once again. You can't tell me we're not their number one suspects. Heckey snickered. Do you think that they would believe that we have the capability of doing this? Maybe. Derek quickly snapped back. You do blow up shit for a living. I don't know, Sarge. These guys had a long list of enemies, most of whom are more than capable of doing something like this. The newscasters were making obvious assumptions about what had caused the explosion. An overhead view showed bits and pieces of the house thrown across the street and to other nearby properties. A shot of the remains of the house showed multiple bodies covered by white sheets on the ground in the backyard. The newscast cut to a different shot almost immediately while the announcers pondered what could have happened. Hecky and Derek looked at each other. They'd gone too far. Way too far. For the next three hours, their eyes were glued to the television. Derek knew the police would show as soon as they discovered Messi's body. Hecky and Derek waited. They waited and waited. At 10 p.m., they grew tired of waiting. We should go out for dinner, suggested Hecky. Food was the last thing on Derek's mind. He was sick over what happened to Messi. But he couldn't sit and stew for another minute. Yeah, replied Derek. Let's go. I need to get out. They piled into Hecky's van and drove to a local pub. For the first time in months, Derek stepped out onto the street without feeling like he was being hunted. They ate dinner, had a beer, and drove back to the house. Hecky pulled the van onto their street, to see police cars parked in front of their home. He pulled into the driveway and parked. As they jumped out of the van, Anna and two plainclothes officers approached them. Derek, shouted Anna. Anna, Derek shouted back, attempting to be aloof. Where were you guys today? Here, mostly, Derek replied. We did some groceries and then went and had dinner. Why, what's up? Have you seen your friend, the tall one? Asked Anna. Anna. Messy, Yeah, he left earlier. He say where he was going? Anna asked. Jim, maybe? I didn't ask. That house that blew up. Did you see it? It belonged to Dennis Bell. What house? Derek continued to be aloof. Save it, said Anna. I know you did this. You and him, said Anna as she pointed past Derek at Hecky. Me? Asked Hecky, feigning surprise. What the fuck did I do? Stop. The shit you pulled got another one of your friends killed. Hope you're happy, boys, said Anna as she turned and walked to her car. Wait, asked Derek. What happened to Messi? Anna turned back to Derek. Fuck off, Derek. You and that idiot already know. Know what? Asked Hecky, as he continued the charade. Anna walked to her car, climbed inside, and slammed the door shut. December 15th, 2009. Derek boarded a plane to Ottawa. It was his first trip home since the bank job. He was excited to not have police eyeballing his every move. He arrived in Ottawa and picked up a rental car at the airport. He knew his parents would have questions about Vancouver and business. They didn't know Messi, his family, or any of the other boys for that matter. Derek hoped that his life on the West Coast would remain a mystery to them. At 6pm, he arrived home and was greeted at the front door by his family. They exchanged pleasantries and sat down for dinner and drinks. Derek answered all his parents' questions as truthfully as he could without hesitation. Danik even had questions about staying at the house and getting into the city to cover events. Danik was happy to know that he would get free run of the house. The grip threat was gone. Derek spent the next two weeks with friends and family. He spoke to Mandy every night. She was happy that he would be moving soon. December 28th. 2009. Derek ordered a ticket for Mandy to fly from Calgary to Ottawa the following day. He met her at the airport gate. Derek could see her face shine bright as he ran towards her and scooped her up in his arms. He kissed her hard and she kissed him soft. Derek set her down. Welcome to Ottawa. They arrived in Renfrew shortly after 4pm, checked into a hotel and drove to his parents' house for dinner. They walked into the home and were greeted by the dog. Danik walked into the front foyer to pick up the dog and noticed Mandy. Whoa. Mandy laughed. Hi, I'm Mandy. Danik extended his hand and stared blankly at her. Derek looked at his brother and snickered. He brushed past Danik and led Mandy up the stairs to the kitchen and living room area. His mom was working in the kitchen. Mom, I'd like you to meet Mandy, Derek said, gleaming. I've heard so much about you. It's wonderful to finally meet you, Mandy. Mandy. Likewise, replied Mandy, as they shook hands. Would you like some help with dinner? I'd love for you to pour us some wine and tell me all about yourself. Mandy and Derek's mom talked in the kitchen, while Derek and Danik watched a World Juniors hockey game on TV. Minutes later, Peter walked in from his shop, and they sat down to dinner. Peter began razzing Derek. Then Danik joined in, and Mandy started too. The jokes ranged from jabs about Derek being an unemployed volunteerist. To being unable to commit to anything. It was the kind of thing he was used to. Little did they know. Derek's parents loved Mandy. Everyone did. Her smile lit up a room. And her personality made even the most guarded person open up and spill their guts. Derek knew that he was lucky that this girl even looked at him. Let alone let him be with her. The following day, Derek took Mandy into Ottawa to see the sights. They visited the Parliament Buildings, the Canal, and the Byward Market before heading out to dinner in the trendy Westboro neighborhood. December 31st, 2009. On New Year's Eve, they attended a party at a friend of Derek's. It was a tradition among his Ottawa friends. Every New Year's Eve, they would party at the McShane Farmhouse. It would freeze rain, and multiple cars would get stuck in their 400-meter-long driveway while trying to go to Finnegan's. This year was no different. Mandy and Derek arrived around 8 p.m., she fit in with Derek's friends right away and threw drinks back with the best of them. By 10pm, Derek could feel a buzz coming on. He excused himself from a game of flip cup to step outside. He stood in the snow, taking a piss and staring at the stars. The snowflakes felt like diamonds. He couldn't help but wonder where Messy and Arlov were and how they felt about him now. Derek didn't like himself much. He couldn't imagine that the boys did either. He felt a tear freeze to his face. Mandy opened the door and stumbled outside. She too was drunk. Were you peeing? She asked. Derek nodded his head yes, and Mandy turned up her nose. Gross. You do it too, Derek shot back. And you're smoking too? Mandy, you know I smoke. Derek, I'm really drunk. I know, babe. Me too, Derek laughed. Will you stay with me tonight, Derek? I will, he nodded. Every night, Derek smiled again. Every night. He grabbed Mandy's hand and kissed it as they walked into the house. McShane announced that cabs were coming to take them to the bar. An hour later, the entire party had shifted scenes to a downtown Renfrew bar called Finnegan's. Derek fist pumped to techno on the dance floor with Mandy and his friends. After a few dances, he walked outside. On his way to the exit, he walked through a crowd of people that he had grown up with. He had a lot of memories running through his mind. He couldn't figure out if he was in a better spot than the previous New Year's Eve when he nearly overdosed. On the surface, he appeared to have everything going for him. He had a beautiful girlfriend, money, and lived in a world-class city. He had all of the things that any vain person would value. But deep down, he knew that he was in trouble. Trouble with the law trouble with other criminals, trouble keeping track of his own lies. He'd built a house of cards and all he could do was live in it and enjoy it while it was still standing. Derek began to sweat. For once, it wasn't because he was coasting like a snowbird. He had made a clean sneak, many clean sneaks over the last two years. He knew that he needed to enjoy all of this. His friends had sacrificed so he could have it. He had sacrificed his friends so that he could have this. He stood in the parking lot and smoked a cigarette. He blew smoke rings into the cold night air and stared skyward. After a few minutes, he went back inside. Mandy met him at the bottom of the stairs and dragged him onto the dance floor. They tore it up for the next hour and were hammered when the ball came down. McShane leaned in to whisper in Derek's ear, but he was so drunk that he yelled, How much coke have you done tonight? Derek turned and looked at Mandy. Her face said it all. She'd heard every word of what McShane said. Everyone in the bar heard it. Derek felt Mandy's hand let go. She backed away and left the club. He quickly ran up the stairs and out the door. Mandy was outside smoking. Derek approached her slowly. You don't smoke. I used to, Mandy shot back. Derek lit a cigarette and looked at the sky. You know, I didn't do any coke tonight or since we met for that matter. But I did have a life before we met. I did shit that I'm not proud of. Derek took a drag of his cigarette, and he continued. I won't hide from my past. It made me who I am. Sometimes I wonder if I'll know you, Derek. Look, Mandy, I've made mistakes. Are you still making mistakes? Mandy cut Derek off. Everyone makes mistakes. Derek took another puff of his cigarette. I still fuck up. I just don't make those kinds of mistakes. Derek, how are you able to drink and not have it escalate into other stuff? I'm just able to shut it out. I spent years, years coked out, Mandy. Years. And I'm not about to go back to it. I won't. Derek, I'm not looking for a reclamation project. I am a reclamation project. I thought you had your life together. I do. Look, last year was a huge eye-opener for me. That guy, O'Connor, that you met... He bawled his eyes out in front of me because he thought I was going to kill myself. You were, Mandy snapped back. I was, yeah. Derek took a puff of his smoke. But I found a lot of reasons to live. I hope so, Derek. Because I won't hang around. My father did this to my mom. And I won't have you do it to me. Your dad was a junkie? No, Derek. My father did bad things. And he paid for what he did. He lost his friends and his family for a long time. I don't want that. We have a good thing going. Please think about that. I do, Mandy. I always do. There's a place for you inside of my heart, Derek, said Mandy. Derek smiled at her and wiped a tear from her face. I love you, Derek. Derek's jaw hit the ground. He could barely answer. I love you too, Mandy. He softly put his hand to Mandy's face and kissed her. They returned to their hotel room minutes later. Derek kicked off his boots and took off his jacket. Mandy jumped into his arms and tackled him to the floor. She lay on top of him and kissed him. You have a beautiful soul, Derek. It's dark and it's damaged, but I know it's full of good. Derek couldn't reply. He knew that he was damaged and dark, but he couldn't find any goodness. He hadn't been able to find it for a while. He knew that he was robbing Mandy of meeting someone much better than he. He knew that his bad would eventually infiltrate her world. We'll grow, Derek. Together we will grow. Mandy kissed Derek passionately and they made love. Derek put Mandy back on a plane to Calgary the next day and jumped on a plane to Vancouver. He arrived around 2 p.m. Vancouver time. He grabbed his luggage and walked to Hecky's van outside the airport doors. Hecky had been in Whistler with his dad for the past few days and had just rolled back into the city. Hey, bud. Hey, Sarge. So the cops came by the house again. What'd you tell them? Derek asked. I told them we're grieving. I am grieving. Derek snapped back. So am I. Heck, he agreed. Any weird shit around our neighborhood? Asked Derek. All quiet except for the cops. That's good. How's Squamish? How's your dad? It's good. I'm going back after the Olympics. I am going to hang around for that and tie up loose ends, but I'm going back. Derek nodded. It'd be nice to get our stash before we go. I don't see any way of us getting to that, said Hecky. We've got over a million each. It's a head start. I hope I can stretch it. Are you going to Cammore? Hecky asked. That's the plan, replied Derek. Good for you, bro. I'm happy that you're happy. Thanks, Hecky. They arrived home, unpacked, and got dressed to go out. Hecky wanted to go downtown. They had dinner and walked to a small pub on Commercial Drive. They sat in a corner booth with a bottle of high-end bourbon, chatting about their future. Derek was optimistic that once he escaped Vancouver, he could leave the city behind for good. Hecky kept checking out the crowd behind Derek. As the night went on, Derek became more on edge with every look that Hecky took. Then it happened. Hecky recognized someone. Good evening, boys, said Anna as she approached their table. Hi, Anna, replied Hecky. We're going to ask that you would leave here for the night and go home. Why? asked Hecky. We're just sitting here quietly having a drink. Well, Anna bent down to get to their level. We're part of a joint task force whose goal is to keep gangsters like you out of places like this. We're not gangsters, Hecky shot back. Well, you might not have a criminal record, but you most certainly are gangsters. Now get out and don't come back. Derek stood up and turned around. You know what, Anna? You had me wrong from day one, and you still do. Good thing we're leaving town, eh, Sarge? Said Hecky. Good thing, bud, replied Derek. Hecky and Derek stood up, walked quietly to the door, and left the bar. They walked to Hecky's van. Hecky started his vehicle and pulled out of the parking lot. As he started to drive, the boys were surrounded by four police cars. Multiple officers jumped out of the squad cars with guns drawn and rushed towards Hecky and Derek. They threw their hands in the air. Get the fuck out of the car, yelled one of the officers. Hecky and Derek slowly reached for the door handles and stepped out of the vehicle. The officers rushed the boys and pinned them against the side of the van. Anna walked towards Derek with a piece of paper in her hand and a smile on her face. Derek Sears and Riley Heckman this is a search warrant for your vehicles and your residence. Read it if you'd like, but I'll tell you what it says. It says we can look wherever we want for whatever we want. The officers stood the boys to their feet, walked them to a squad car, and put them in the back of it. They watched Hecky's van get torn apart. The cops checked every square inch of it. Derek and Hecky grinned at each other and looked over at Anna. She grew frustrated once again. The cops finished tearing apart the van and waited for the search of the house to be complete. After a half an hour, an officer approached the car and opened the doors. The boys were let out and had their handcuffs removed. Anna approached them, clearly angry. You two think you're so smart. Last man standing. What about your friends? What about them? Asked Heccy. Doesn't it make you sick to know that you killed them? Asked Anna. I don't see how, replied Heccy. If they got in over their heads, that's on them. You know, Anna looked back at the cops. At some point, the government is going to audit your little food truck venture. Derek laughed. That's fine. You can send that group of crooks to us. Yeah. Do you want to check out our parents' place too? Asked Hacky. Maybe you can have a look at our accounting or our bank statements. Look at whatever you want. What do I need to do to prove to you that you're chasing ghosts? Asked Derek. You can't. Anna shot back. Because I'm not. Is this about something else? Derek smiled as he asked the question. Don't flatter yourself, Derek. Look, Anna, don't project things onto me because I ended things with you. Dream on, Derek. Now go home and don't come back down here. Anna walked away and Hecky smirked at Derek. They turned to the cops. Anyone want to make a quick 20 bucks helping me put my van back together? The officers all shot dirty looks at Hecky. The boys returned home. Over the next week... They only left the house to get cigarettes and groceries. That's it for episode 12 of Second Story Work, the novel. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Josh Sobalski. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. My handle is at author Josh Cebulski. I'm also on Twitter. My handle there is author Jay Cebulski. I also host a podcast with a good friend of mine, Corey Leckie. It's titled Second Story. It's available on all streaming platforms as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.